0: morning, you can be seated. Welcome to uh, this great morning. <laughs> it's good to be together in God's house today. Let's look in our Bibles today. We've got two different passages to look at. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 21, and then Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at the Matthew passage first. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' great, long, wonderful teaching about what it means to live in the kingdom of God as a part of the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 16 through 21. Listen to God's word. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they will have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." And turning over to Acts, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Acts 13, 1 through 3, this is a little glimpse into the life of the early church. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius. Of Cyrene, Manaan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, God. We ask that your spirit would be alive and moving among us today. Please open our ears so that we can hear your voice. Amen. What if someone were to try and convince you that your life would be so much better if you just gave up indoor plumbing? Just built an outhouse in the backyard and went back to that. Be a hard sell, wouldn't it, on this five-degree morning if someone tried to tell you, no, really, this old-fashioned idea, it's just what your life needs to make your life better. We're exploring a series on ways to make your life better, not just like... Um, to be more efficient or to be more well-rested or to have whiter teeth, but to have a better life in that deep down sense that we're all looking for, that, that sense of a deep satisfaction with life, the good life, the abundant life. Jesus said, I came to bring you life, life to the full, abundant life. The Christian faith says that the good life, the abundant life, comes from a relationship with God. But a lot of us Christians would say, I wonder if there could be more to that than I'm experiencing. A lot of people experience that relationship with God as kind of of thin, kind of maybe distant or vague. Maybe a little uncomfortable, like being stuck in the elevator with your boss or something. How is that relationship with God supposed to kind of bring us that abundant life, that that deep satisfaction with life? How do we move into a deeper and better place in that relationship with God so that we can experience that abundant life? Those are the questions that we're asking this winter. And we're not the first ones to ask that question. Thankfully, people over the last millennia, from the earliest parts that we see of the Old Testament, right up through the New Testament and then through the whole era of 2,000 years of Christianity, people have always been asking that question. And they have found some tried and true things that help bring a relationship with God into a place of life and depth and, and, and make that abundant life really available to us. So that's what we're exploring in this series, The Good Life, these tried and true practices. We've been exploring them, but also trying them out, because if we just talk about them, it's really not that helpful. And it's really ultimately not that interesting. But if we we go home and we try them each week, that's where things really get interesting. So the first week we looked at meditation, meditating on God and on God's word. And then the next week we looked at prayer. That was last week. If you are feeling like, yeah, these are all good ideas, but I need some help, find a small group. There's still small groups you could get involved in and have some friends to try this with. So today we're talking about fasting. Fasting. Now what do I mean by that? Fasting is simply just voluntarily denying some otherwise normal part of our lives for the sake of intense spiritual activity. Not that there's anything wrong with any of the normal life functions, but we we set them aside from time to time so that we can concentrate concentrate on god that's that's what i mean by fasting often it's food but sometimes it's other things as well we'll talk a little bit more about that as the rolling stones once said you can't always get what you want right those great theologians (laughs) or maybe they should have said you shouldn't always get what you want right right That's really more the idea of fasting, going without. Now, fasting. That sounds like an idea that's just about as popular as going without indoor plumbing. Wouldn't you say? I mean, fasting, really? This is 2016. (laughs) We don't do stuff like that very much anymore. Fasting? It seems like an idea that's out of step with the times. Richard Foster, who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline, which is our, our guide, our inspiration for this series. He said that when he sat down to write this book back in the 70s, he could not find one book published on Christian fasting written between the years 1861 and 1954. Like, nobody was doing it or writing about it, apparently. And he gives us some reasons. He says, one, it has a, a bad reputation, fasting does, from the Middle Ages, when people really went overboard and got really legalistic about it. And, and Foster points out that when the, the inner part of our relationship with God. The, the heart part of our religion starts to decline, as it really did across the board in the Middle Ages. Religion became sort of this outward thing that those outward forms become really, really important because they're all that you have left. He says this, whenever there is a form devoid of spiritual power, law will take over because law always carries with it a sense of security and manipulative power. And today we tend to look back at that legalism, that that form of godliness without the power, and we say, oh, we don't want to have any part of that. So we just sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And fasting doesn't seem to fit with our lives today, does it? I mean, we live in a place where you can drive by 75 different places to eat within a, a, like a 10-mile a radius, where we have uh, people and, and advertising and our whole culture telling us if we don't eat three solid meals a day with snacks in between, we're practically starving to death, right? I mean, we have cup holders in our cars, we have food in our office, at least I do, in my desk drawer. And <laughs> I know I'm not alone in that either, right? We gotta eat, right? It's important to us. Our culture tells us that satisfying all those, those appetites is a good thing. So fasting seems really out of step. And plus, the third reason I think it's not so popular now is just it's, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. There was a comedian who once said, why do they call it a fast when it goes so slow? it's true it's just it's hard and generally we're addicted to comfort but you know the scripture has a lot to say about fasting if you look at the people in the Bible who fasted it reads like a who's who of the Bible we see Moses fasting we also see David and Elijah and Esther and Daniel and Anna the prophet and Paul and Jesus Fasting is woven into the normal life of God's people. We get a little snapshot of that in Acts chapter 13, which we just read. A little snapshot of the early church, the the church in Antioch. It tells us a little bit about them, who was there and who some of the leaders were. And it just seems to mention in passing here that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit talks to them. They're worshiping and fasting. Those two go together. And that enabled God to really speak directly to them. And he gives them this direct message, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That work turned out to be world-changing work, taking the good news for the first time out of the little slice of geography that Israel was in and taking it to the rest of the world. So what do they do? They fast again. It says, verse 3, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The Bible doesn't command us to fast, but it sets us free to fast. And Jesus seems to assume When he says, when you fast, this is how you should do it. When you fast, this is how not to do it. He seems to assume that fasting will be part of the Christian life. And why would we want to miss out, right? Why would we want to miss out on a way that God wants to connect with us and bless us and that so many other people have found to be a tried and true way of entering into a deeper relationship with God, So fasting, you can fast from food, obviously. And in the Bible, we see people fasting for a short time or for a longer time. You can fast alone as a discipline by yourself, or you can fast with a group like we see in in Acts. The church was all fasting and praying together. But you can fast from other things besides food. You can fast from people, from your phone, that's a hard one, because it's always with us. You can fast from earning self-worth by being productive. You can stop working for a period of time. You can stop, you can fast from, from buying things, from consuming. The key here is that it's a voluntary denial of some, some part of our lives. It's a normal part of our lives, so, so that we can concentrate. And the real key is is what we concentrate on. Really, it's, it's who we concentrate on. Biblical fasting always centers on God. On God, not on ourselves. And motives are important. It's interesting that Jesus, the first thing he says about fasting, he talks about our motives. Matthew 6, he says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do they mess up their hair and they look sad so that everyone will know, oh, those poor people are fasting. They're so holy. Wow. He says, don't do that. He says, if, that, if you do that and other people give you that reward of, of admiring you for fasting, that's the only reward you're, you'll get. But he says, our motive should be to, to do it unto God, unto the Father He says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. I think oil on your head is his way of saying, shampoo your hair. You know, take a shower. Look normal. And uh, and then it won't be obvious, he says to others, that you're fasting. But only to your father, who is unseen. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Richard Foster says that to use good things to our own ends is always the sign of a false religion. So tempting for us to use a good thing like fasting for our own good instead of to glorify God. It's easy to take something like fasting and try to use it to to get God to do what we want. So the cure for that is that fasting must always be centered on God, not on ourselves. It must be for God, not for ourselves to get something from him. It must be a way to just really concentrate on God and focus on God and give give ourselves to God. Like Anna, the prophet that we read about in Luke It says she was always worshiping and fasting. Those two went together for her in her life, worshiping and fasting. Same thing in Acts 13, worshiping and fasting. That helps that focus to stay on God. God challenges his people in Zechariah 7. He says, when you fasted and mourned, was it really for me that you fasted? It's possible to fast and not make it about God. So fasting always has to be centered on God, not on ourselves. That's why fasting is different than a hunger strike, say, where the purpose is to get other people to do something to, for, for some cause. Or dieting, which the focus is on our own body and our own health. Fasting is not also just like skipping lunch because you're too busy to eat. <laughs> so fasting always has to center on on God, be focused on God. But once we've got that central piece in place, then we're free to see that there are secondary purposes to fasting too. There are blessings that come from fasting that can happen in our lives. Fasting reveals the things that control us. Pride, for example. David says in Psalms, I have humbled my soul with fasting. Anger, bitterness, strife, fear, if they're within us, they will surface during fasting. It's like the way that gold was refined in ancient times. It would melt it, and then all the impurities would rise to the top, and they would be able to, to skim off the impurities, the dross, it's often called, in the Bible. But once the, the smelter had, had finished skimming off the impurities, he wasn't finished there. He would stock the fire more and, and draw out more impurities and then skim those off and then heat, heat up the gold again and then skim off more impurities. And he would continue this process over and over again until the gold was pure. And it was said that he knew the gold was pure when he could see his reflection in the gold. Fasting is voluntarily turning up the heat so God can keep skimming those impurities off of us till he can see his reflection in our character. Fasting reminds us that we're sustained by God and not by our own power. See, food doesn't really sustain us. God sustains us. When I have fasted and I feel those hunger pangs, I always try to stop and remember, God, I'm depending on you to keep me alive. We're always depending on God to keep us alive, but we forget a lot of times. And so those hunger pangs remind us. Jesus said that we don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So food doesn't sustain us. God sustain us, sustains us, and fasting allows us a chance to, to remember that and to really feast on God instead of on food. Richard Foster says, fasting is feasting because we can feast on God. And fasting helps us keep some balance in life. We easily let non-essentials take over our lives, but fasting reminds us what's really um, what's really important in life. Other people have said that fasting helps make their prayers more effective. It gives them a chance to receive guidance in decision or to, to uh, deliver, experience deliverance for those in bondage or physical well-being to receive uh, revelations from God and so on. Um, and when we seek God, we know that he'll find us. That's really the bottom line of fasting. So, how do we do it? Some simple how-tos. Well, one one good piece of advice is to learn to walk before we learn to run. If you're interested in trying this out, I would say, don't say, I'm going to fast all week long this coming week. (laughs) Don't start out with a week-long fast fast. Don't say, I'm going to throw my phone in the dumpster for the next month. Let's, let's start with, with learning to walk before we're learning to, we're learning to run. If you're fasting from food, think about medications and medical conditions that you need to take into consideration. If you have a heart condition or you're diabetic or you have medicine that you need to take with food, that all needs to be taken into consideration. I would say maybe begin with a partial fast. John Wesley used to do a fast from when he got up in the morning, he would eat supper the night before, and then when he woke up in the morning, not eat breakfast and not eat lunch, and then late afternoon or early evening, have dinner. Usually when I fast, that's how I do it too. And I drink juice. Some people only drink water. Some people drink juice. If I don't drink anything, if I don't drink juice... I get really cranky and lightheaded and (laughs) I get kind of mean if I don't, if my blood sugar goes too low. It's true though. So find what works for you and try it, you know, try it once a week for a few weeks and then work on expanding it. And get people praying for you. Do it together. It's much better together. And, and as Jesus said, don't call attention to your fasting. If people ask you about it, you can just say, oh, I'm skipping lunch today. And avoid getting legalistic. It doesn't really matter if you drink juice or not or uh, if you do it a certain way or not. One thing I read this week said, don't forget, it's a fast, not an international treaty right? The purpose is not to go without something. It's to grow closer to God. So don't allow that legalism to creep in. At first, when you fast, you may be fascinated by all the the physical effects or the effects on your emotions, fascinated with what's going on inside you. But as you go on, you'll be able to focus more and more on God, and you'll be able to find that in the midst of your normal day, in your heart, you'll be in prayer and adoration and communion with God. Bill Bright says that those those hunger pangs when you fast are really pangs of homesickness for God. I love that. Reminds me of a story in the Bible of a man who had two sons that he loved very much. And the younger one really wanted to go and sow his wild oats, and so he got his inheritance from his father and went far away and spent it all, lived it up, till he'd spent all his money and then found himself trying to stay alive by having a job feeding the pigs and eating the scraps that the pigs were given, and he got hungry. He got so hungry that he started thinking about home. and He started thinking about his father, and he kind of came to his senses and said, you know, if I went home, my hunger could be satisfied in my father's house. That's really the same thing that happens to us when we fast, those hunger pangs they lead us home. They lead us home to our Father, who can truly satisfy us with the good life. Let's pray. God, give us courage this week to go outside our comfort zones, to break through those voices inside us that tell us, oh, it won't be worth the effort. Give us courage to try something that will open us up to you in a new and wonderful way. Holy Spirit, fill us with your power so that we can follow you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength.